time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back into 5th Avenue Faceoff. Chris Mack and 93.7 The Fan and The Fan Morning Show with you talking Penguins hockey. And once again, we've managed to nab one of the guys from the NHL on ESPN on their way into town as they get ready to fly here. Last week, it was Sean McDonough. This week, we're lucky enough to be joined by Ray Ferraro, who will be with Sean on the call of Penn's Bruins at PPG Paints Arena on Saturday. Ray, really appreciate you hustling through security at the airport to give us a couple of minutes. Thanks. Uh, no problem. As you know, you you can only hustle as far as the 100 people in front of you. But <laughs> it, was a, it was a pretty quick line today, so I got through all right. No, we appreciate it. Thanks again. Um, I don't know how much of Thursday night's game against the Predators you got to saw or got to see, pardon me, from the Penguins. Um, but being there in person watching it, it struck me that we finally got the kind of effort from Mike Sullivan's team that may not be the most fun to watch all the time if you're a casual fan, but that is perfect for the playoffs if you're a team like the Penguins. It was, frankly, if you're a casual fan, boring hockey uneventful hockey but it's perfect for a team like the penguins going into the playoffs it struck me that it may be just the right prescription in that they bottled up granted not an offensively gifted team in the predators but they bottled up their opponent and struck when they had opportunities um that seems like the right style for this team going into the playoffs can they play that way against uh, the bruins uh, or anybody else they might face in the playoffs that, that's really a really the million dollar question when you look at the Penguins. I mean, I, I think when we think of the Penguins because of Crosby, because of Malkin and Latang and Jake Gensel, I, you know, I think the first inclination is this is a high scoring team. This is a team that's going to score a lot of goals. It's going to have a really great power play. And none of those things are true about this team. And so you got to be careful of looking at one game. Uh, you know, you mentioned about Nashville. So no Roman Yossi, no Philip Forsberg, no Matt Duchesne. Um, no Ryan Johansson. So I, mm-hmm. I would say probably their four best players weren't in the lineup. So it's easier to bottle that team up. For two periods the week before against Washington, you know, they got a great game from Casey DeSmith, but they played, they played a style that looked really comfortable for them. They were relatively in control of much of the game, yet in five minutes in the third period, the game flipped on them. And all of a sudden it's a scramble. And it's that, you know, that story that's been written many times this year. Uh, The Penguins are interesting to me because, you know, I I watched a later game last night, uh, Edmonton and L.A. And, you know, Stu Skinner made 43 saves in goal for Edmonton. And, you know, they they shut out the Kings. Well, Stu Skinner doesn't have to be the story in Edmonton. He's got to make sure that he doesn't screw up the train. Right. Like that's that's what the goalie in Edmonton has to do in Pittsburgh. The goalie has to be better than that. Their defense isn't good enough to withstand average or sub average goaltending. So, you know, I understand the frustration of Tristan Jari and his injury problem this year or problems. He's their best bet. He's, he's a better goaltender than the Smith. The Smith can play one out of three games for you. But Jari's got to be the guy. So, yeah, the style looked great, but you got to take the opponent into consideration. And, and I think you really have to understand that Tristan Jari 
is incredibly important to that team. Is this an opportunity for him then, Ray, over the next week? Because they've got the game against the Bruins, obviously. They've got the Devils in the wild on the schedule as well. Um, an, an opportunity. Look, they're fighting and scratching and clawing for every point in the standings to stay ahead of Florida at this point. But an opportunity for Jari to assert that he can play that style, I guess. A hundred percent. And they're going to need him. Now, look, for two periods the other night, or last Saturday, uh, Casey DeSmith was the story. He was fabulous, mm -hmm. unreal. He was terrific. Stops Ovechkin on a breakaway, makes a great save on Carlson, lets the Penguins grow a 3 nothing lead. And then two games later, you know, you, you see him having some, some problems. Um, with all due respect, because he's one of the probably 60 best goaltenders in the world, um, he's a backup goalie. Right. And that's what they signed him to be, is their backup, you know, to be their B guy. So they're a guy. The problem is the a guy has not been able to play like that. Certainly since the new year, when he got hurt uh, on January 1st and, and came back, it is an opportunity, but it's also, you don't have any time to figure it out. If, if the game Saturday doesn't go well, then Mike Sullivan's in the soup for who do you start against New Jersey the next day? You know, can you, can you, can you play them back to back? Do you have to split them anyway? Like there's so much more that goes into that decision than, you know, like who you're frustrated with as a media member or a fan, you got to go with the guy that gives you the best chance. Right. Long-term. What are your thoughts on the goalie situation here in Pittsburgh? Because Tristan Jari is a UFA and it's not a particularly uh, impressive crop of young UFA goaltenders. I mean, there's Carter Hart out there. He's been talked about. Um, there, there's just not a lot else out there for them to, to chase. There's been the rumors kicked up again about John Gibson because since he's a Pittsburgh native, but that would require pretty heavy lifting, I think, from Ron Hextall. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I was reading last week and, you know, and everybody, the, when I say everybody, the tone of the media was, you got to let Jari go. You just go get someone else. Well, the someone else is who? Right. Because if you don't know who that someone else is, now you've got one goalie that seems to be suboptimal, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're going to need it. You're going to need at least two. So the, the one thing that has happened here is whatever bargaining chip that Tristan Jari had, he's left it at the table. Like he's right. in, you're, he's in no position to, to have leverage going into this July. Now, if he goes into the playoffs and the pens went around and he's unbelievable and has a great second round, well, then the leverage will switch. Because it's just not that easy to go and get another player, another goaltender in particular. Gibson's really interesting because I, I think you you put it mildly saying it's heavy lifting. Like, man, that's <laughs> going to cost you assets. You've mm -hmm. got a clear cap space. Right? Like, how are you going to do that? A Anaheim's not trying to be a really good team next year. Right? Like, they're, they're yeah. still in their very base of their rebuild. So you're going to send, I don't know, what's Gibson's cap at six, close to $6 million. Six, right? Yeah. 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 So look around the penguins. Do you see an extra $6 million sitting there? I don't. Yeah. And, and to your point, I mean, that's who are you going to ship their way that they can immediately make, make use of as well. Their most immediate need is draft picks. Um, so we know Ron Hextall is not interested in dealing, especially high level draft picks. You know what, Chris, I, I, I have this, 
view or thought, I guess, is that the the Penguins right now are like 2015 Detroit. Yeah. Such a great you know, analogy. 25, 25 straight years in the playoffs, haven't mm-hmm. made the playoffs since. Like when when the ball turns over here, you're not just going to replace Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin or Chris Letang. Like how are you going to replace that? How are the Red Wings going to replace Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg and Nick, Nick Lidstrom? The answer is you can't you and you don't. Yeah. And then great, you get your you get your draft picks and then you wait and you hope and you hope that some of those draft picks hit because it's, you know, you're you draft a kid, he's an amazing prospect. Great, he's 18. How right. many 18 year olds, 19 year olds, 20 year olds make a, a legitimate impact? The answer is not very many. They're in a tough spot. And that's why I like their chance to rebuild completely was last summer uh, with, with the Latang and Malkin contracts at the end. But whether right. that comes from Ron Hextall or comes from ownership or a combination of both, it's not that easy just to walk away. And then what? You have nothing. You don't have draft picks for them you just lose them then what yeah and it, it strikes me you talk about the comparison to the 2015 red wings because and it's i had the exact same thought earlier this week ray and went back and checked and i didn't realize that henrik zetterberg didn't win a playoff series i don't believe for the final seven or eight years of his career <laughs> and we are now in what would be if the penguins don't win a round of the playoffs this year a fifth consecutive year for Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Christopher Letang. And you realize that when we've been waiting for the cliff all this time and the, the drop-off, we may actually be in the middle of it. <laughs> and we, we don't even realize it. And that's what you're saying, essentially, is there's no easy way to rebuild. And when you do rebuild, you don't realize you're in the crux of it until you're already halfway through, essentially. And then you end up like the Red Wings and you bring the guys in, you get the Larkins in some cases or the Bertuzzi's, but then in some cases you're shuffling some of those pieces out again, i.e. Bertuzzi who we'll see on Saturday, but it's, it's not as cut and dried and easy as I think a lot of us wish it, 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 we, we could make it out to be. It's so different than the NFL when you're drafting 22 year old players. And for example, the Steelers draft a left tackle in April He's starting for them. Mm-hmm. Well, they certainly hope, or he's that <laughs> close to starting for him right away. You draft an 18-year-old kid, you shake his hand, and you say, our development team will be in touch. And yeah. then he goes back to junior, or he goes to college. And it's a couple of years before physically they can mature to even compete because they're 18-year-old kids. Then they get there, and they're not even close to the player that you hope they're going to be. Right? Like... So I I think management always knows they're in the middle. But if you have Crosby and Malkin and Latang, and and let's say ownership says to you, okay, Chris, you're the GM, you're going to rebuild. And you've got these three guys. How are you going to be bad enough to get to the top of the draft? You're not. (laughs) You're going to be in the 20th draft pick again, and then they're still going to be there next year. So you... You try to stay relevant. You try to make the moves you can to stay as competitive as you can. But a rebuild, it sounds awesome. Lots of things sound great in theory. Right. So you put them into practice. Buffalo's 10 or 11 years. Yeah. They, 
Rasmus Dahlin's a first overall pick. They made a trade and hit a grand slam with Tage Thompson. Owen Powers, a number one pick. Oh, they're waiting for those guys. I mean, Dahlin is four years in, and he's just getting to the point where you go, that kid's a star. Like they're, but the they're people still in Pittsburgh. The yeah. people in Pittsburgh are spoiled. We are the Penguins. They we really are. are. Like I used to play against them when you know they used to just run roughshod over everybody. Well, they drafted Mario at one. They drafted they a, a stroke of incredible luck. They get Yager at five. They make the trade for Ronnie Francis. They're running out of power play of five Hall of Famers. Right. Oh, and then Mario gets older and he's got to retire. Oh, and he, hello, here's Sidney Crosby. You're right. We've been ag- to do that. We're, we, no, I, I say it all the time. It's it's a good. It, it's we've been spoiled. It's a in a good way. We've we've been yeah. for the last forty years. We've had one of the top three or you could say five players in the world on our roster at any single one time outside of maybe a three-year window. We've been incredibly lucky. Let's bring it back to this weekend for just a second. And with the Bruins coming to town, does this team have a soft spot, Ray? I mean, I don't see it. And I don't know if I see a team in the East that if there is a soft spot there that maybe you can identify a team that's equipped to expose it. The only soft spot I see is uh, their top two centers are 37 years old. And, but terrific players and the way the Bruins are built, they don't need to be a legit number one center and get 95 points. Like I think as a team, as a 25 or 23 man roster, the Bruins are perfectly constructed. They don't, they don't need Patrice Bergeron to play 25 minutes a game or 23 minutes a game. They don't need David Krejci to play 20 minutes. They need those guys to function in the space that they're able to as a 37-year-old player. You know, Bergeron plays with Marchand. Those two have been tied at the hip for since they, you know, since they came into the league. And they've got a brilliant player and 53-goal scorer, David Pasternak, who plays with Krejci most of the time. Uh, their defense is exceptional and deep. And they've got the best goaltending in the league. You know, in, in Linus Ulmark and J- Jeremy Swayman. So, Gee, I, you asked the weak spot. Yeah, it's their two guys are older at the, in the middle. Two months is a long time for them to be healthy. And that's that's really the that's the weak spot I identify. But I'd, I'd take that's, my chances with that. Yeah, that's not much of one either. Um, before we get before I let you run, I just want to touch on a couple things from around the league, Ray, um, mm-hmm. because, it, you know, there are things being talked about now that the NHLPA has a new president in place and yep. Marty Walsh. Um, what I've heard from the reporting of Chris Johnston and Pierre Lebrun north of the border is that he's trying to get player feedback on the playoff format. As fans, we've argued about this a lot over the last five years or so, but how do players feel about the current playoff format and your conversations with them and whether they'd like to go back to the one through eight? Well, I, when you're playing, I don't think you really think mm-hmm. uh, about theor- theory um, about hypotheticals. What if we changed it to this? I don't, I don't think it's a general topic really for the people that I talk to, you know, what is a topic from the players that I've talked to in, in particular, but also more than a couple of managers is why is the playoffs not expanded? Hmm. Why, why every, every sport, every other sport has expanded the playoffs. When I was playing, there were 21 teams. We used to joke. It was the original 21. You know, it's the original six, but we called it the original 21. 16 teams made the playoffs. 
Right. Today, there's 32 teams and 16 teams make the playoffs. My son plays in Germany. And so they have one league. It's, it's, uh, is it 18 teams? 18 teams. So if you imagine each conference as its own league. Mm-hmm. So you have 16 teams. You have the division still. The top seeds in each division get the one and two seeds. Teams three through six get seeded. Division doesn't matter in points. Teams seven through 10 play a two out of three playoff series to become the seventh and eighth seed. Then you play one eight. So here's what happens. Teams in three through six are fighting to get the division win. They want to be right number one and two so they can have home ice advantage all the way through the playoffs. The teams that are in the seven and ten, they're fighting to get into the three and three to six, so they miss that opening series. The teams that are eleven and twelve, they're fighting to get into the seven and ten. There's three playoff races going on at the same time in right. each conference. I'm telling you, it is awesome. You can't even keep your focus as to who's advancing where. It's so great. I don't know why the league doesn't take a, a deeper look at it. Especially when you've had a situation like in the Atlantic this year where it feels like Toronto and Tampa have known they're bound to face each other for two months now. And there's, you know, sure, Tampa wants to get things right and get moved in the right direction. And you can argue about home ice to an extent. But in that series, does that does home ice matter that much? You know, no, but I think I, I do think that's the one everybody points at. I do think we have to look in a bigger picture. Let's say the season ends today, which it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Rangers play Devils. When's the last time that happened? I don't know. It would Not be often Edmonton enough, yeah. And, uh, Edmonton and L.A., they would renew a, uh, a playoff series from last year. Um, you know, Seattle's going to be in the playoffs for the first time. There's a lot of series that we haven't seen before. But I don't think – I don't. I think there's an easy way to generate more interest, which is more revenue – which is a better share for the players and the owners I, by going to a system somewhat that I talked about. I don't no, understand I, I, why it's, it's not, a, it's not you know, further, further investigated. Maybe it is being, but I'd like to see it implemented. Let me ask you how much you'd like to see. You know, we all heard Connor McDavid a couple of weeks ago talk about how players were, were seeing the impact of the WBC mm-hmm. in baseball. And it sounds like negotiations continue. Oh, it was was phenomenal. Uh, Down to the final at-bat of the thing, right? Otani and Trout. Um, It sounds like things are continuing to slowly progress for a February 2025 World Cup of Hockey. Um, But it's hard to get it planned given the situation with Russian players that they're in. Um, I know that international hockey is outside of the Stanley Cup playoffs. For my money, the best version of hockey. Um, I remember the last version of the World Cup. It was phenomenal. It had fans plugged in in the month of August of all times, right? Um, how do you feel about how this can get done knowing what the uphill battles may be in getting it done? Well, there, anything that's worth anything, there's obstacles and potholes all over the place. And you have to slowly just chip away at what the real obstacles are. I believe the work to be done involves the time of the tournament, the framework of the tournament, insurance, uh, who owns the rights, where does the money go? All that stuff has to be chipped away at. And that's before you get 
to something you have no control over, and that's the world politic influence. And that's, of course, the Russian players. But I don't know anybody, like literally, I haven't talked to anybody that says the World Cup's a bad idea. I do hear it's going to be pretty hard to put together. Yeah, so what? Lots of things that are really hard to put together finally get put together. Nothing worth doing is ever done easily, right? No, it never is. It never is. If it is, my my wedge game would be way better. I would, <laughs> it would be way better. And so, I, I want it. I want to see it. I think the players want to see it. I would love to watch it happen before Sidney Crosby gets yeah. too old. Now, okay, I'm a Canadian. I was in the building in 2010 when Sid scored in overtime. I've never heard an explosion inside a building like that. I mean, it's yes, it was Canada. Yes, it was at home, but it was international hockey. Exactly. And it was the very best of the very best. And I broadcast a lot of that tournament. I'm telling you, you could feel it, how much it meant to the players. Not just in Canada, in the U.S., but I'm talking to European guys, too. They love it. They play for their playing for their country means so much to them. I I think it's best. Yeah. yeah, anytime you get high stakes, best on best hockey, you've got a prescription for just an absolutely amazing competitive environment. Um, before I let you run, I got to ask you, because look, I, I'm not trying to, to age either one of us, but I came of age as a guy, like I think back to my college days when we would stay up late, we would, we would, we would maybe skate because a bunch of my buddies worked at the rink at Penn State. And we would skate and then we'd stop. We'd grab some food on the way home and we'd sit there. We'd play NHL on the Nintendo 64 and then we'd watch NHL tonight. Right. And in high school and college, that was you. That was Bucci. That was Barry. That is the pinnacle in, in, in the minds of people of a certain age of NHL tonight. No knock on anybody else or the point or what Bucci's doing now or what anybody at ESPN is doing or any other network for that matter. But do you ever take a step back, especially when somebody calls you chicken parm for the 739th (laughs) time? Do you ever take a step back and allow yourself to sort of bathe in the significance that that has in the minds of hockey fans of a certain age, that that era of NHL tonight? Not that per se, but what I do when I do think of it and when we do talk about it, I think, you know, like I was playing still like I was I was in the league. Right. And I get this opportunity from a man who just passed away. His name is Barry Sachs. And Barry was a big Ranger fan. And he knew me from the Islanders and the Rangers. I got traded to LA and he called my agent and said, Hey, would Ray like to try being on TV? And so I come in with Bucci yeah. and Barry and, you know, just incredible people to work with. And, you know, Barry was, you know, he had this big New York accent and he'd be like, oh, Sugar Ray, what do you think of the Rangers? And he just <laughs> loved it. Right. And and so I, I think of that with incredible gratitude of like how lucky, you know, like I wasn't thinking of retiring. I was playing. I was surviving. And I get this chance to to work with people who I've known now for 30 years, which is amazing. And, you know. Bucci gave me this glimpse into broadcasting that, you know, again, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just the broadcaster or I was a player pretending I was a broadcaster. So he'd say something, we'd go, we'd be coming out of a commercial and he'd say, I'm going to ask you something about the avalanche. 
And I'd say, well, what are you going to ask me? He says, I'm not going to tell you. I just want you to think about the abs because he taught me to be prepared yeah. and to react to the question. And I tell you, I was terrified. I'm like, what's he going to ask me? <laughs> right. And, and, but it got, it helped me learn about preparation. And so working for, with those guys was just the best. I'll tell you one quick story. I'm playing for Atlanta and uh, no, I'm now in St. Louis the end of my career and Yuri Fisher was his giant defenseman and he's got me, there's a scrum and he's got me pinned up against the back of the net. I can't, I mean, I'm not getting out of there until Yuri decides I can leave. Right. You know, I'm like, there's no way out. And Steve Eiserman skates behind and behind the net and he leans over and he goes, Hey Ray, why don't you analyze that? And then he kept on skating. And I was like, if I could get out of here, oh, I'd like to slash you, but I couldn't get out. So. That's great. And that was a great line. Oh, that's good stuff. Well, I, I didn't want to let you go. I didn't want to have an opportunity to talk to you and let you go without telling you. Uh, it does. It's At least awesome. for guys of a certain age, it holds a very special place in our hockey fandom. Those That era of NHL tonight with uh, a, a young chicken parm and Barry Melrose and John Butchergrass. Uh, again, nothing against the Bill Pito, Al Morgani years of NHL tonight that preceded it or anything that's come since, but great job. And you guys continue to agree. You and Sean have done a great job with the games this year, and ESPN's coverage. So uh, keep up the great work, Ray. We appreciate you taking the time while you're traveling and we'll look forward to Saturday's game against the Bruins. Thanks a lot. I, uh... The importance of the games always makes it more fun to do what I do. Um, so Saturday's a big one, but I, I got to tell you, I just love doing what I'm doing. It's been 20 years, and I can't believe it that I still get to do it. It's been it's been awesome. It comes through in every game, man. We appreciate your coverage. Thank you much. Be well. All right, you too, Ray. Thanks again. Peace. Wonderful stuff from Chicken Parm, Ray Ferraro of ESPN, the Pens against the Bruins. Uh, Saturday afternoon on ABC and ESPN Plus. And uh, one more game on ESPN, uh, ABC. That'll be uh, a week from Saturday, uh, Easter Saturday, as it were, uh, against the Red Wings. That won a primetime game at 8 Eastern. But uh, I'm glad we were able to touch on a number of different levels with Ray there. Long-term vision for the Penguins. Maybe we're in the middle of not going over the cliff, but we're in the middle of the decline already. We we just never see this group get back to where we hoped they could get back to uh, a, a zoomed in focus on the Bruins and the Penguins this weekend as well. And whether the Penguins can do to Boston, what they did to a very, uh, very deficient predators team on Thursday night and what they can do in some big spots against Jersey and Minnesota down the stretch as well. A chance to prove that Tristan Jari can be a playoff caliber goaltender, a Stanley cup caliber uh, goaltender in the playoffs in a couple of spots down the stretch here. And then also some league-wide issues as well. Sounds like uh, the World Cup is something that can and should happen. The question is just getting all of those different big block issues to fit together, as well as a playoff system that I thought really sounded very interesting from Ray. Um, having the idea of one and two, uh, guaranteeing themselves home ice through the first three rounds of the playoffs in the conference. And then three through six, not having to go through, I guess we would call it a play in round, right? And best of three, seven through 10, very NBA like, right? Uh, that was good stuff from Ray as well. 
and obviously his career in broadcasting with ESPN, which has now come full circle to doing games with Sean McDonough after starting on NHL tonight with John Bouchergrass and Barry Melrose. All right. Uh, Eric Tangrady had some previous engagements. He had to run. We're not going to be able to catch up with him for this episode, but we'll get him back on Monday. No worries. On Monday, we'll have the Bruins Flyers games to react to, and we'll be looking ahead to a big game out in Newark on Tuesday night. So we'll get Tango back in here on Monday. Coming up next, I put a bow on this thing, and we talk about what to look for in these Bruins and Flyers games Uh, as the Pens continue to build, continue to push, and try to stay ahead of Florida for that final spot in the Eastern Conference playoff race. It is Fifth Avenue Faceoff.